Okay, question first. This isn't on your paper. Question, why do you believe Paul is going so in-depth in our understanding of sin, and our understanding of justification, and our understanding of sanctification, and going really deeply into understanding it? Why, why do you think this is... Paul's direction in the book of Romans. What do you think his drive here is? Why? Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, an aspect of why he's um, constantly going over. Uh, a lot of times the same material. He, he just keeps mulling over it. What do you think another reason that he would lay Romans out this way? Obviously, we understand this is under the inspiration of God, but what do you think the drive? What do you think? One, it's another reason for um, the the emphasis on these areas and really getting deep into them and really explaining them. Show us the importance of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a teaching. And if you go, if you take the understanding of chapters 1 through 3, specifically verse, starting in verse eight, 18 uh, through the end of uh, chapter 3, or to 20, uh, 20, verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul lays out our former life, right? Who we were. And that encompasses Every human lived in that former life uh, of sin and bondage to sin and could do nothing but sin. And so if that's the case, then when you are brought to newness of life, we are called, we are brought, what, born again, right? That's the, the term used. Well, when we think of born, what do we think of? What's... What, what do we think of when uh, a mother has a newborn, what? Baby. Do newborn babies know everything when they come out of their womb? No. Okay. So that's the, uh, that's the understanding that we have when we look at the book of Romans, is that Paul is dealing, really throughout most of his epistles, he's dealing with new believers. So there's a foundational laying out of what we believe as Christians and why we believe it and what it means to live as a Christian and how it looks to live as a Christian. And he goes slowly, step by step by step, and then comes back again and talks about it and really wants to grow these new believers, these babes in Christianity, uh, up in a true, solid, firm foundation of the truth of the gospel. Oh, they don't understand it. Yeah, they don't understand it. Well, if you look at um, where we see that used uh, in, in the gospels was, is with Nicodemus, right? And in, in John chapter number 3, Paul is talking with him I mean, not Paul, Jesus is talking with him, and they're having this discussion about salvation, and 
Paul or Jesus says, uh, you must be born again. And his term to him, well, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? So the understanding is a misunderstanding. One is a born, we are born one time of flesh and blood, and the second time is a born again of the spirit. And it's understanding of our, our, we are spiritually dead and spiritually enslaved into sin. And when Christ comes, he brings us alive and a new life. We are born again in the fact of the first time we were born into our flesh the second time we're born again into the new life of a christian the spirit and, and and you know that is that is uh stated in scripture that people will be will not understand i i mentioned this in the year in uh, message that people uh, will not like you, will be frustrated with you as a believer. They don't understand the, the understandings, the, the way Christians live, the way we speak. It's a foreign language. It's a complete foreign language. Those of us that understand the Bible and the Bible uh, affects us in our lives because of the Holy Spirit, we speak a foreign language to the world that they don't understand. Okay? But I wanted, us to, I wanted to kind of give us a understanding so that we don't, I don't want to get it to where we're thinking, wow, this is constantly repetitive. It's very good in the fact that it's constant. So it gives us a strong, deep, uh, reassuring, solid foundation to build our Christian life upon. And really, it's good for those that have been saved for uh, weeks, months, a few years, to those that have been saved for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, to understand that strong, firm foundation and constantly come back to it. And, you know, we don't want to uh, be old Christians and uh, become complacent and, and feel, come to the point where I already know it and, you know, I don't need to... Uh, I don't need to go over this anymore. I already know it. That complacency in the Christian life is uh, never there. <clears throat> um, I've been a Christian for uh, 24 years. Um, and studying the book of Romans this time around has brought new uh, insights that I hadn't seen before and refreshed my love for the book. Uh, it's not teaching me concepts that I didn't know. It's making it fresh and exciting again, uh, which is really, um, really good. And, and it's caused me to pause and, and really reflect on what is this actually saying, uh, where before I might have just read it and, and kind of gone through the motions of reading it. Okay, So when we read this book and uh, a lot of Paul's epistles and the others. It's written to, a lot of times, new believers or young believers or struggling believers. And so they, it's very methodically um, lined out on how we should live as Christians. And Paul constantly, in this book, is contrasting the way we were and the way we should be. This is what we were. This is who we should be. And that's what you would do, uh, the right and wrong, with a child, right? 
This is what is wrong. This is what is right. You can't teach a child only what is right. Right? Because how will they know what's right? Unless they know what is wrong. Right? How do they know what something is bad if they don't know? Or, you know, you have to give them both sides of the coin or they, they, they'll live life on the... They, there'll be a lot of confusion going on. Okay? And Paul constantly is bringing out how... Um, and we're going to go over this a little bit today, but how the sin of our life truly affects us and really brings us down into the gutter of despair. And it's a horrible place to be. And if you read Romans 3 through, or 1 through 3, man, you, you might just be just dragged down. And the purpose of that is to give us the gravity of sin so that when we see the gift of salvation, it's so glorious to us. That free gift would not mean a hill of beans if we didn't understand the true gravity and the true sinful just bondage that we were in that, that brought us out of. Joe? Oh. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, you know, there's so much in our movies today. Um, they, they, it's, you know, apparent. It's a, it's a great opportunity to teach your children, um, even though it is a movie, what is right and wrong. But I better get teaching or I'm going to run out of time. I only have four verses, but there's a lot in here, okay? Verse number 20. We're going to start off with verse 20. It says the word for. Okay? The word for is used multiple times uh, in here, and it's used to explain a previous um, statement. Okay? The word for explains... Um, Oh, that's not that verse. Huh. I speak into my computer, and I didn't have time to proofread this morning. I was at a horse show till like 11 o'clock last night, so I put this together this morning. But that is verse 19. Sorry about that. <clears throat> okay, the word for is explaining verse 19. All right, so verse 19 is... Laying out again the contrast, <clears throat> of the first the first part of nineteen of sin. <clears throat> All right, I'm speaking in human terms because of our weakness of our flesh. For just as, um, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Okay. That's what this for is referring to. So it says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. You, uh, you, <laughs> oh boy. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes my computer puts its own words in. Anyways, the, the word slave, what is the understanding of the word slave here? 
Okay? We're enslaved to those. Yeah. No, actually, <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit last week. There's a big difference between slavery and servitude, right? If you're enslaved, um, are you free to make your own choice? If you're a servant, do you, are you free to make your own choice? Yeah. Okay. If you, <clears throat> if you have a slave that's, slave, you know, that's serving you in your home, uh, they do exactly what you tell them to do or, or face the consequence. If you go to a restaurant and you have a servant waiting on you, a server, uh, they can offer you poor service. They can offer you good service. You can ask for water. They can bring you tea. You might get mad at them. And they could they could serve they could get consequences of being fired, but they have the freedom to do whatever they they want. Okay, and there is a big difference between a servant and the a slave. All right. Um, so um, when it says when you were slaves of sin, the the understanding here um, is completely encompassed by sin. You could do nothing. And we've talked about this uh, previous, and it, it just, Paul continues to make sure he drives the, the, <clears throat> the emphasis that this was your former life. And he uses the word you, okay, here. You is explaining those who have been saved. So it's very important that we understand who's Paul talking to because it makes no sense if he's talking to those that are still enslaved, right? So the word here, you, we need to slow down and see, you know, you is explaining those who are saved, okay? Slaves to sin refers to a past life before salvation. Completely enslaved, bound by sin, could do nothing uh, but what is explained in uh, chapters 1 through 3 of Romans. That was our nature. We were enslaved, bound, wrapped up, tied up. <clears throat> this, again, is another understanding of why Paul needs to address the fact of what it looks like to not live under that. Because if you were bound into something, you become accustomed to whatever you're bound in, uh, and you might gravitate back to that. Look at the, the picture you can drive from Scripture of this is the Israelites. Okay, The Israelites were in captivity to Egypt for how many years? Do we know offhand? 400. 400 years. Okay, so... Several generations had passed. You know, people weren't living hundreds of years at that point. You know, their, their life expectancy was in the maybe 100, 120 years, okay? Um, they weren't living 900 years like they were previous. And so uh, this was at least four generations probably had gone through <clears throat> uh, in, in Egypt, and they were living bound in complete slavery when... Um, they were brought out and brought into the wilderness. What did they cry out for? 
You know, we're suffering. We don't have food. We don't have water. Let's go back to Egypt, where at least we had food. You know, we were enslaved. We had no freedom. Uh, We couldn't serve our own God. We couldn't do any of those things. And they were killing our children. Uh, Let's go back to that, because at least we had food. And that's what the, the nature of humans are, is to go back to you know, the scripture talks about as a dog returns what? To its vomit. Okay? And that's the way that sinful life is. You gravitate back to it. It is fun for a season or enjoyable for a season. All right? So <clears throat> we are enslaved. Paul is getting us to take our mind from that slavery where we have a new mind in Christ and a new life in Christ, but. We have not been pulled from our flesh. Our flesh still desires those old way of living. And so that's why uh, it would be an amazing thing if we were born again and the old things of life were completely erased in our mind and we started afresh. That would be amazing. But that's not how it works. Okay, And that's why this progressive growth and sanctification, why Paul's laying out the importance of in slavery to Christ, as we'll get into. But let's finish here in verse, <clears throat> verse number 20. It says, For when you, Christians, were, in, were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. All right, so pretty big statement there. What, what do you think Paul's getting at when he says you are free in regards to righteousness? Okay, yep, you have four blanks there. What do we think? See if you guys can get any of these blanks without me telling you. You're free from <clears throat> regards to righteousness. No fruit. Okay, your first blank there is for from the power of righteousness on your life. You're freed from that. It has no effect on you. Free from the power of righteousness. That has no power over you. It has no effect on you. There's, there's nothing about righteousness that matters to you. As a person that is enslaved to sin, you're freed from the power of righteousness, the, you know, the, any, any uh, power that it would have over you. you. You don't desire it. There's nothing there uh, in your heart in regards. The word free is not meant to be a positive thing by any means by Paul here. Okay, you're, you're, you have no ties at all to righteousness. Your second one is you're free uh, from the obligation of righteousness. As an unbeliever, you have no obligation to righteousness. Why? In verse number 4, the, you, there's, no, um, there's no ability to pursue righteousness. You would not be under the obligation because you have no ability. Why? How do we know? I mean, we're going to hear at the end of chapter 8. I'm just giving you a foreknowledge. This is Sunday school. Okay, so at the end of chapter number 8, we're going to spend a few weeks going over the 1 through 8 and saying, what have we learned? Because this is no point if we haven't learned anything. Okay. So this is a little precursor to how we're going to do this. 
how, where do we know that we had no ability to do righteousness? Where would we find that in Romans 1 through 6 that we've gone through so far? If someone would say, well, how do you know that we had no ability to, to do a righteous thing in the sight of God? How, how, where would you take them in the book of Romans to say, right here it says, in the book of Romans, where does it say it? Where does it say or give us the understanding that no one can pursue righteousness that is a sinner? Where are we going to see that? Chapter 3, verses what? Verse 10. Yes, okay. I constantly go back to this section. All right? It's a very, um, very clear explanation of where we were before salvation. There is none, what? Righteous, no, not one. Okay? There is none who understand. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Okay, so if you ever get into a conversation and you, you're talking about this section of verses, and you say, you know, unbelievers can't do anything righteous. They're free from it. They, they, they cannot even, they, they have no ability to pursue it. Uh, it's because of the bondage of sin. It's not a possibility. Yeah. Yep. So what we have to do when you make that statement is we have to have a correct, and I know you're playing devil's advocate, that's what you said, but we have to have a correct understanding of what Scripture is saying. When it says here, uh, in the latter part of verse 12 in chapter 3, there is none who does good, not even one. This is in the sight of God is way that this is all being understood. How God views humanity that is under sin is they are not righteous, they cannot do anything good. The way humanity views humanity is, yes, you can do humane things. Okay. An unbeliever stops on the side of the road and helps you change your tire. Well, that's not a wicked, horrible thing that they've just done. Okay. But in the sight of God, without salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit inside of there is nothing that they can do good in God's sight. It's all a work of the flesh. It's all a work of, well, they do it to glorify themselves ultimately. I helped an old lady today change her tire. Look how good I am. Okay, and it all ends up focusing back upon them ultimately. Okay, so in the sight of God, no one can do righteousness. No one can do anything good. They're useless, worthless. Okay, until they're born again, and the work of God in their life causes them to be worth something and causes them to be useful. Okay, that's that's the stark contrast between what's going on okay so when we see here we're they're no they're freed from the regards of self or of righteousness that's okay 
You're disconnected. That's your fourth blank. You are disconnected from righteousness. Okay? <clears throat> you might think as a person that is uh, an unsaved person, you're like, well, none of that sounds good. I don't have to do anything good. I'm, I'm free from all of that. No, that, that is uh, by no means what Paul is referring to here. Um, and he gets into that in verse 21. Because if he left it here, that would kind of give us a, a, an instance to scratch your head like, well, we're in sin. We don't have to do anything that's right. We can live however we want. Well, this is great. What? Why would I want to get saved and have to live righteous, live holy? This not doesn't doesn't tickle my flesh real well. Well, because of verse twenty one, uh, he gets into that. So let's jump into twenty one and see. Therefore, what benefit were you then uh, deriving from the things which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. Okay? So we'll talk about this here for a second. One of the uh, marks of a true Christian. What do you believe is a mark of a true Christian? Stated in this verse. Okay, what's the word that Paul used? Ashamed. Okay? Ashamed. How many of you have been around Christians... That might have gotten saved later in life and had a um, boast of their formal life of sin. They didn't talk about it in a ashamed manner. It was more of a boastful, joking, this is the way I used to live. Have you been in that circumstance? I've been around people that have proclaimed to be Christians, and it's almost like a badge of honor. I used, you know, God saved me out of the yada yada, and they name all of these, and they make this big deal out of all of the sins they were under, and they spend more time talking about their sinful life than the life that they now live under Christ. I've heard preachers spend entire sermons on who they were before a Christian. And then they spend a yeah spend a very small yeah they spend a very small section of time talking about what Christ has done in their life. You know, I used to be this. I used to be now. There's a there's a place for I used to be a wicked vile because Paul talks about it right, letting people know who I am before salvation. Uh, I, I, there was a man that I knew uh, when I was in Alabama for uh, a, a time was um, a second in command of the Hell's Angels. Big time. I mean, this is not like the group you'd want to be involved in if you're claiming to be a Christian. And he wasn't at the time. And he'd been shot and stabbed. And he, he gave his testimony, but it was probably, I don't know, Maybe 10, 15 minutes, because he, he, I mean, it, it's interesting to see where, but without understanding the gravity of how far he went from Hell's Angels to prison for murder to released because they couldn't find the paperwork that, through a whole host of events, he was saved in prison and now he's an evangelist preaching. Um, 
And he uses his testimony to show the wickedness of his life before and doesn't glorify it. And then there's others that I've seen, all they did is talk about it. And, you know, this, it almost made you think like, man, that sounds like an interesting life to live. If that's the thought process you have of hearing someone's testimony of conversion of, man, they had a really interesting life as a sinner. They, they gave you a, they're not ashamed. And so one of the um, true pictures of, now, sometimes uh, this isn't the only test. And the reason why this isn't the only test is Samantha, my child, was saved at six. She's not going to be ashamed, uh, gratefully, you know, have this life of testimony that, you know, I lived a life of wicked sin from ages one to five or six. Okay. Now she did, but it's, you know, there, that's not the only test because you're not going to see her saying, oh, I'm gratefully ashamed of, you know, saying a lie or whatever as a child. Okay. So it's not the only test, but it is a test. And again, he's, he's writing to primarily adults uh, that are, have been saved as adults here. And so we, we kind of understand that. So, you know, when it gets the understanding of you're ashamed of the understanding of what you did before you were there's no benefit what benefit is it the benefit is what what is the benefit of the slavery to sin what is the benefit what is verse 21 paul says you know the benefit he, he starts off with this what therefore what benefit were you deriving from the things which you are now ashamed okay you're ashamed of those things. What benefit were you deriving before salvation? What? What benefit was it? Yeah, the, for the, the end of the verse. For the outcome of this is what? Death. Okay, this isn't, this isn't talking about a physical death. This is talking of spiritual death. Okay, Paul is clearly um, having... Uh, the the eternity on his mind in these sections of verses, okay, uh, the eternal state in which a a human is going to live is what's on his mind, and those that uh, live in the flesh and live uh, as servants to sin, enslaved into sin, uh, their outcome, the benefit of that, what they get from that, and he goes over that and. Uh, pointed detail in verse 23, which we'll get to, but it is death. Your, your benefit, what you get from a life of sin, is death. Okay? So he really is, again, he's being really, it's kind of like sinking down in despair here, right? Like, wow, this is really heavy. Paul intends to do that. So when he comes into verse number 22 and gives you the exciting, it's like, oh, wow, what, what a flood of relief and joy I have. If he doesn't talk about that you're free from righteousness, you're just a filthy bum that cannot do anything right, and that your benefit of the things that you're ashamed of now, as a believer, the benefit that you were going to derive from that is death. So, you're just a useless person on your way to hell, is what Paul is saying before salvation. 
Then he gets into verse 22 and says, But now having been freed from sin. Okay? I'm going to stop right there. Freed from sin. What does it mean to be freed from sin? Okay. Okay, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing to recognize. When it states the statement freed from, does that mean we no longer sin? What is he what is referring to when he says, uh, therefore, or sorry, but now having been freed from sin? What is, what is his driving point here with the word freed? We're no longer enslaved. So what? How does that? How does that? How does that picture out in our life? What does that? What does it mean? Okay. So before before salvation, we're slaves to sin, right? Can we do anything good? Can we do anything right in the sight of God? Is that is that even a possibility? Okay. So now that we're freed from sin. It gives us the ability. We're freed from that bondage. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that we're um, excluded from or cannot go back to. It just gives us now we have a choice. It's really what it's referring to. We have now a choice to do what's right. We have the ability, maybe is another way to say it, not choice, but you have the ability now to do righteous things, or we didn't before. We are not free from righteous living now. We have the ability. We are under the power. Um, we're under obligation. Okay? We, have the, 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 we, we do pursue righteousness. All Basically, if you would just flip... Uh, verse 20 around uh, the opposite is what we have now as believers. So all those statements that I made there in verse number or 20 about freed from righteousness, now we are to pursue it. Okay, And, and with that, it gives us the understanding that we once could not do anything right. Now we have the ability through God to pursue a righteous, holy way of living. Uh, and that makes us free from that bondage of what we could only sin. Now we're freed from that and have the ability to live a holy, righteous life. Joe? Right? Uh, it can still be, it can be either or. Okay? You can, I can change a tire before salvation and it's always... It's not necessarily, it's not, it's not a sinful act, but it doesn't glorify anybody but yourself, okay? And so, therefore, it's not good. After salvation, I can um, change your tire uh, to the glory of God and for the purpose of glorifying God, and that's a godly glorifying thing. After salvation, I can change your tire to still glorify myself, and therefore, it's sin. And so, and Scripture talks about we will be judged uh, with uh, our hay, wood, stubble, gold, silver. You know, so the things that we did in the flesh as believers will be burned up, and the things we did for Christ will be you know, gold, 
precious metal, those things. And so as a Christian, uh, now you have the ability to do things to the glory of God. Okay, I can stand here, I can stand up there and preach to the glory of Mark. Right? I can get up here and I can... Acts, you know, I can speak eloquently and share from the Word of God and hope that you guys think that I'm the greatest Sunday school teacher ever. What benefit did I derive? What, how did I glorify God in that at all? I spoke His Word. I did, you know, I taught you from His Word. But I can be doing it in my own fleshly desires that you guys think I'm the greatest thing since sliced cheese, which is really good. Um, and uh, it, and when we get to the end of life, God's going to put that over in the, the burned pile. Even though I'm speaking the truth, even though he can use that for righteousness and good, uh, he's going to put that in the burn pile because in my own flesh, I was trying to boast myself. And the desire of a good teacher, desire of a good preacher, is that you don't think that I am great, that you think the words from, that I'm speaking from God is great and glorifies Him. And so if you come to me and say that was a great Sunday school lesson, and, and that's good. You can, man can praise man for what they've taught, uh, but if it's my desire to come here and not teach you the Word of God so that you grow in His knowledge, but my desire is that you think I'm great, then I, yeah, it's, it's, it's not righteousness. It's, it's wrong. And so understanding believers can glorify God in their actions and they can glorify themselves, which is sin. They can do both. Unbelievers can only do one thing. That, that's, that's what Paul's driving at here. Good. Any other comments on that section? Okay, um, but now having been freed from sin, we are freed from the bondage of only being able to sin. Okay, and this again is being taught to young believers so that they understand you could only sin. Now you have been given this glorious gift of salvation which frees you from the ability, that gives you the ability to do what's right, to please a holy God. You, no longer, you did not have that ability. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, now you have the ability to please that holy God where once you did not. Okay? Very important distinction. All right, so you're... you're um, your blank there is um, freed from the bondage of sin. Okay, when you're in bondage to something, you can only do that. Okay. Interesting enough, what? How does this verse flow? Okay, it's verse twenty-two. Now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, how much of a gap period is there in that? You were enslaved to sin, and now you're enslaved to God. There's no gap. What is, what is Paul getting at in this verse? Okay, you're blank there. The immediate outcome of salvation is to be enslaved to God. The immediate outcome. We don't see Paul teaching here anywhere, or really we don't see it anywhere in Scripture, where you get saved, 
and you float through life for 10 years, 5 years, and now I'll give myself to God. But we don't see that. We see the, the idea given here. Um, we were freed from sin, slavery of sin, to be a slave to God. One slavery leads to death. Okay, That's what we see in 21. Paul gives the stark contrast to the slavery to God. Okay, and you derive your benefit resulting in what? Sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Okay, what's the benefit of enslavery to God? There's two benefits given here to the enslavery to God. What is it? Sanctification and eternal life. Okay. What does it mean? Why, why would sanctification, what is, what is the meaning of sanctification? What, why would that be looked as a benefit? Growth process. What does the word sanctification mean? What's the definition? Set apart? Okay. We are to be different. Set apart. We aren't to, we are to be confused, mocked by the world. As we said earlier, we speak a different language than the world does. And as we grow in our sanctification, just as um, sinners, not all sinners are looked at the same. Some manifest themselves in bigger ways than others. They're all still sinners, um, but some we see and humanize as bigger sinners, right? Um, so a similar case is going on with sanctification. Uh, we see some Christians growing in their sanctification like crazy, and some are slower and lack behind. And Paul here is giving us just a really pushing the Romans here in, in this book, and ultimately to us, pushing us all to understand we need to understand we're slaves to God, and that we, the benefit of being enslaved to God is our sanctification, which Christ works within us to do. We still have a part, okay? But without the working of the Holy Spirit in Christ in our life, none of us would desire to be sanctified. We would desire to go back to sin. Just like the Israelites desire to go back to Egypt, you and I would desire to go back to our sin without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and working within us. Now, there is a human element to this because if there wasn't a human element to this, there would be no reason for Paul to write this that we need to, you know, we need to be sanctified and we need to grow in our sanctification and we need to understand we're slaves and we need to live righteously. There would be no need to say that if the Holy Spirit did it all for us and we could just float through life. Humans still have a responsibility, but God is the one that enables us through the Holy Spirit to do that. All right, And it's us uh, desiring His Word and desiring to be that slave that we should, um, which grows us in our sanctification. Another word for sanctification is holiness. Holiness. We are to be holy. And that's not a blank there, but um, set apart, holy, dedicated to God, to His service. 
And that's growth in that sanctification. All right? And the outcome is eternal life. Okay? Two opposite sides of the spectrum. The outcome of sin and slavery uh, is to death. The outcome of uh, slavery is sanctification to eternal life. Okay? One is damnation to hell. One is uh, in eternity with God forever. Big, big, big difference. There's a world of difference in understanding this. And it should get, cause us pause and it should cause us to really glorify Him for what He's done for us in it. Okay? Sure? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you find it easier to sin or easier to do what's right? Which is sin, right? What, glad, you know, what, what makes the flesh happy, right? Our sinful desires makes the flesh happy, and we like to feed our flesh. And the more we grow in our sanctification, the more that we... Uh, as verse 21 says, we're ashamed of the sin or hate our sin, the more our life will come to a more holy desire of living. And with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is a great uh, asset to the Christian life is because when we do commit sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved and that affects us. Uh, but we can quench the Holy Spirit the more we, when we draw back into slavery of the sin, we can quench that spirit and quiet that spirit to the point where uh, he we don't feel it anymore. And at that point, it causes us as as uh, elders and as pastors and as as Bible teachers, uh, if you find someone that's at that point, you go back to the gospel with them. You go back to are you a believer? Because if you've gone to the point where the Holy Spirit, you, you're not feeling the effects of Him, it's not that you've lost your salvation. You might have never had salvation. That's the idea. Yeah, it should. It just depends on the growth you're, you know, and how you uh, invest yourself into the Word of God. You know, how important it is for you to grow. That's why sanctification isn't a set path for everyone the same. That's why some people at the age of 26 can be a pastor and lead a flock of God at the age of 26, which is really young to do that. Uh, and some people in their 70s and 80s are still drinking the milk of the Word. And it, it, it has to do... With that's the human element in their life of growing in sanctification, and, and uh, you know that's where God's grace is amazing. Okay, and Paul talks about that in this twice in this chapter. Okay, should we sin so grace can increase? No. Should we sin because we're not under the law? No, absolutely not. But Christians still do, and God's grace is still sufficient for them. But that should not be our mindset. He's trying to teach us the mindset of a Christian, not the mindset of a sinful humanity. And sinful humanity is always going to do what's easiest. All right? 
what's easiest is not always what's best, obviously. Um, and as believers, what's the best is usually what's hardest, right? So yesterday, I spent 14 hours at a horse show. The night before, uh, I had a horse pitch me off onto the ground. Uh, hurt my hip pretty good. Then I spent all day in the saddle gathering, you know, again, I'm, I'm not painting a picture of this as was horrible. I had a lot of fun working cows and so on, but it was tiring. My kids were tired, um, pretty exhausted. We, we were there at, well, we got up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We didn't get home till 11, okay? Um, pretty, pretty tired. What did my flesh want to do this morning? Call Jeremy and say, hey, well, the, my class is going to join your class. I'm going to stay home. I'm tired. That was that that was been the easy choice, all right. And again, I'm not glorifying myself at all. But the the choice to do what's right and get up and come teach the class that needs to be taught this morning and stay in that is a harder choice. The flesh desired to stay home. Now, I'm not saying by any means that if I stayed home, I'd been in sin. All right. I'm not I'm not trying to start point a stark picture here of if I would have stayed home, I'd been a sinful, wicked person. Okay. There is a time where maybe you do need to stay home because you're exhausted all right, or sick or whatever. But the easy thing would have been to stay home. You know, the more difficult thing was to get up this morning and <clears throat> um, have misspelled words on your paper. All right. So, well, I'm, I'm faking it well then. Okay. <laughs> it is getting grayer, that's for sure. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> so, very good. All right, well, I did not do well as far as time goes, and I am not going to rush through 23. Um, so, we'll just pick up 23 next week because I only have like three verse, or three minutes left. So we'll pick up 23, and I'll, um, we'll flesh that out in more detail next week. Um, it's too big of a verse just to read quickly. So any, any thoughts or questions or I, you know, anything that you want to say in the last few minutes? Are we enjoying the book of Romans? Are we, is, it, is it being helpful? Um, are you learning things maybe you didn't know? Um, you know, it's helpful as a teacher for me to know where you guys are, and I think that's why I want to go through um, chapters one through eight here. Um, it's going to probably be there's 16 chapters, and so I don't know. I might do it sooner than later. I might not go through all the way through eight because we. The way we're going right now, it might take us till May before I get to the end of chapter 8. So, uh, we'll see. But what I'm going to do is probably, it might be two or three weeks, and we're going to, I'm just going to ask you questions. Like, where are you going to go to find this? You know, if somebody brings this up to you, where are you going to go? How are you going to, how are you going to explain that? So, uh, I want to make sure that we are not just uh, getting information, but we know how to use the information we're, we're receiving. Uh, it's such a benefit to to the believer to you know, invest 
into knowing the Word of God and to be able to give every man an answer, right? We need to be able to give everyone an answer for the hope that lies within us to the glory of God. So, uh, and, that, and that's, that's my desire, that's Dean's desire, is to, uh, to make us strong, knowledgeable Christians so that we can uh, share our faith with boldness to our community. Not with, uh, I don't really know how to give you an answer, but with a true boldness. Uh, okay? So, very good. Very, very good today. Let's close. Lord, we thank you so much for um, giving us the understanding in your word and having Paul slowly write it down for us to know where we were and where we are now. Lord, we were destined to uh, a horrible life of sin and being ashamed of that um, to now that you have brought us to new life, you have given us... um, new life in you. We are no longer fearful of death because we have life in you. And Lord, we are so grateful to that. And I pray that we would live every day with the concept of we are slaves to you. We are bound to worship and adore and love and follow you in our sanctification, our growth, um, to glorify what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that would be our desire as we leave today to completely have the mindset we are enslaved to you. In your name, amen.